sing. <laughs> Someone play a little soft piano <laughs> as we transition. I love it. Andrew was just, we were just chatting as he was getting me wired up, and he, you walked away and you said, knock him dead. <laughs> I'm just kind of laughing to myself too. All right. Let's knock him dead. Okay, so for those of you who are guests, I too just want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and we're thrilled to have you with us, and we love God's Word, and we're about ready to dive into the Word of the Lord. So you can turn to the book of 2 Samuel. We're in an extended series um, in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. Originally, there was just one book. It was Samuel. Uh, But now we've got two, and we're all the way to chapter 19. So we're nearing, we're getting close to the end here, and uh, it's been quite the ride. This morning, the title is The Return of the King. The Return of the King. I want to take you back, before we get into God's Word, I want to take you back to Tolkien's classic books. The Return of the King. Many of you have read the books or seen the movies. If you haven't, you definitely are missing out, but I assume most of you in the room have either read or seen the movies. In his final, well, his conclusion to uh, the books, you have this final confrontation. Who will control Middle Earth? At this point, it's up in the air. And Frodo and Sam have reached Mordor in the efforts to destroy the one ring that rules them all. But the surprise is the return of the king. Aragorn has now come to lead in the battle against the evil Sauron and his army. Well, before there was the Lord of the Rings, filled with kingly uncertainties and unexpected or even undesiring heroes, there was the inspired word of God found in Samuel. And this morning we will see the return of the king. And as we do, we will be making connections to the king of all kings. So I want you to turn your gospel ears on. We're not going to have time to make all the gospel connections in this passage. We've made a ton along the way, but in this passage, probably, probably more so than any other so far in the two books of Samuel, the connections to the gospel are many. So with that, let's pray and dive in. Father, we just ask for your help this morning. We pray by your spirit that you'd be at work in our hearts, Lord, me as the preacher, us as the listener, Lord, help us to hear from your word, stir our hearts, that we might know you, that we might know you more, that those who might be here, as has already been prayed, who perhaps don't know you, might come to the king, the king of all kings, Lord, and be at work in your church, Lord. Do what you do. Build up your church this morning. By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, got three points to make this morning. The first one is the king wept. Does that remind you of another king? 
The king wept and the victory was turned into mourning. We ended last week, Christian did, there in chapter 18, the last verse there in chapter 18. There's no chapter breaks in the original word. You just want to read right through that chapter break. What's happening there? I think, I think we'll have it on the screen for you. At the end of verse 33, David is crying out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. It's not a chapter break. Let's read right through it. Verse 1, it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people had heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today, I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. This is a cutting rebuke by the commander of the army. Now, therefore, arise, go out, speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Wow. Oh, Joab, Joab, enough of this. Enough of this. You have been given good news, king, and you treat it like a defeat. It's victory day, but nobody here would know it. We fought for you. Your friends and your family have died for you. I lost brothers back there in that battle. You're weeping like you were a loser, as if you lost. You have to stop it. You are crushing your people, and they're going to turn away from you before this day's over. And Joab is right. But I get it. I get it from David's perspective as well. What parent doesn't feel something of his grief? Oh, yes, his rebel son was a wretched man who was seeking to kill his dad and steal the throne. But still, the grief when the final news is delivered, your son is dead. There was no goodbye. There was no chance for father and son to make amends. There was no chance for reconciliation. There wasn't even an opportunity for a final, I love you, son. How much did David rehash in his own mind of his own regrets and failures as a dad? 
He is overwhelmed with the words, Absalom is dead. You know, we don't like death. We keep it at a distance. We avoid the subject at all costs. And yet death is coming to all of us. I've read statistics about death. Statistics have shown that 100 out of 100% of the people will die. The odds are pretty strong. One day, you and I are going to die. Welcome to Trinity. Aren't you glad you came? We're all going to die. And people question the sinfulness of man, right? They question, people think, you know, I make mistakes, but I'm not that sinful. Nothing says more about the depth of our sin than the fact that all of us will die. All of humanity will die. A few guys, Lazarus being one, gets to do it twice. How sinful is humanity? How sinful am I? Sinful enough to one day die. Rightfully die. Well, Absalom is dead, and the king is weeping. In verse 5 through 8, Joab brings a stinging rebuke to the king and he tells David, it's time to stop your crying and take your place where you belong. You're the king. Take your place at the city gate and speak to the people because the people need to see you and they need to hear from you. You're their king, but you're scaring the kids, right? Like... So get out there. You've got victory, but you're acting like you've lost the battle. And your brothers have died for you to save you, to save your family, to save the kingdom. And so he goes out and he sits at the gate. But at this point, he doesn't speak. He gets halfway there. And it's confusing to the people, and we'll see this more. There's this sense of, is he our guy? Like, right, the kingdom's been split with, with Absalom. Is, is he the king? Did, didn't, didn't we win the victory? Doesn't feel like we're returning from the battle with any sense of, you know what, celebration. Celebration in the streets. And so the king wept, which reminds me of the time when our king, he wept. Jesus wept. And maybe you've done some weeping yourself this week. And Psalms addresses our tears. Those who, well, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, it doesn't remove your tears at this point. But it does inform the tears, right? Your tears as a follower of Christ, well, they're tears through, it's, but there's victory. There's victory even in the tears. So Psalms 30 says it like this, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. How can it say that? Where does the joy come from? It, it comes in, in, where do the tears come from? Well, tears, ultimately, they come from death. In an ultimate sense. Where does the joy come from? 
in the tears. It comes from resurrection. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ died. Christ rose from the grave. We'll be celebrating that very soon. And we will one day die due to the effects of our sin, but the believer in Christ will rise again to be with him. And the weeping turns into mourning. Actually, the weeping at that point, when we rise to go and be with him again, we, weeping will not turn. Um, I'm sorry, weeping will turn into dancing. That didn't make sense. Weeping turn into mourning. Well, it, joy comes with the mourning. That's the psalm. That's where I was going with. Sorry, confusing my thoughts here. Revelation 21 puts it like this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a day when there will be no more weeping. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Why? Revelation telling us why. The reason why is because sin will be no more. Amen. Why? Why will sin be no more? Because, because death will be no more. Sadness will be gone. And the only thing that is left to remain is joy in the Lord. But there's this confusion among the people. And they're, 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 there's this chaos, really, of didn't we win? I thought we won. Where's the king? Oh, he's, he's weeping. Wait, what? I thought, I thought there should be celebrations in the streets. I thought we had victory. Let there be joy in the victory this morning. Didn't we defeat the enemy? Isn't that what the king wanted? The stinging rebuke, you would have been more satisfied had we have all died and we return. Um, well, we don't return. Let there be no confusion at Trinity this morning, all right? Let there be no confusion. There's confusion in the text. Let there be no confusion, even in the sadness, even in the sorrow, even in the sadness and sorrow that perhaps you come this morning burdened in your heart. Let there be joy in the victory of your king who rose from the dead, is seated where he ought to be seated. He has taken his place. Here it's the city gate. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is not silent. Romans 8 tells us that he is interceding for you. Let the mourning be turned into joy. Because the king will return for his people. And he will not be corrected into doing so. No one will need to come to the king and tell him, come on king. Get to your place. Speak to the people. He is not a passive king, and he is not a silent king. Number two, the king ended his silence, and he spoke. People are arguing in the text here. The king has been crying, and then he went missing. Some people are fleeing. Absalom's dead. It is sheer chaos. Verse 8, then the king arose and took his seat at the gate. This is where he is supposed to be. 
and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. Which is it? Did all the people come? Or did all the... What's going on here? Well, all the people that were with the king, they had sided with the king. They came before the king. All those people. But there were all those that were with Absalom. That's what the end here is talking about. Now Israel, we were with Absalom. Oh no! The king is seated at the gate. The king has returned. So you've got, if you will, it's not exactly half, but let's just say half the crowd comes and says, yes, finally, the king is at the gate. The king has returned. We have our king. But there's this whole other crowd who's going, oh, no. The king has taken his place. And we had sided with the other guy. And we're about ready to die. They fled to their homes. You know, that reality exists in the room here this morning. One day the king will return. And there are those who are here this morning. It's praise be to God. The king has returned for his people. And there will be those on the other side of that equation. Oh no, we, we hitched up with the God of this world, and we rejected the King of Kings. And friends, though they had an opportunity to run, there really is no place for them to hide. Uh, There will be no opportunity to run. When Christ returns, when the King returns again, he will come in salvation and judgment. Your opportunity to return to the King, to run to the King, is now, it's today. Verse 9 picks up the story about those who were fleeing, all right? So it's going to cover those folks for a minute. Verse 9, and all the people were arguing throughout the tribes of Israel, right? Like, we're now terrified. And they're saying the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. So they're remembering back. This is the day. These are the days when we were with the king. He he delivered us from our enemies. Um, When we were with him, he saved us from the hand of the Philistines, And now he's fled out of the land from Absalom, but Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So they're saying, our guy, our guy is dead. And the guy who was once our guy that we then rejected and rebelled against joined the coup to kill him. He's now once again seated at the gate. Here's the question. How will we find favor in the sight of this king? Friends, this is us. Their problem is our problem. Our sin is an offense against King Jesus. We hitch ourselves to an enemy king. And our sin opposes God. We are rebels. Enemies of God. What are we to do? How are we going to find favor inside of the king of kings? Let's read on, verse 11. And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. This is stunning. Say to the elders of Judah, those are the rebels, 
Why should you be last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? David's saying, you're, you're my people. Like Israel's my people, but you're my people. David is a Judaite. You're my brothers. Notice this, that it was his closest people that rejected him. This is his tribe. And Jesus was rejected in his own hometown. What is he going to say? What is the king going to do? His message to them is, why would you be the last to bring back the king? It's incredible. The answer is, well, uh, you see, there was this coup, and we were a part of that coup. And we were afraid for our lives, and we turned against you. And, uh, yeah, we were part of that plot to see you die. But the king is saying, no. That though you rebelled against my reign, return to me. Don't be the last. Don't be the last to come before the king. Be reconciled to me. You are of me. You are mine. You are my bone and my flesh. This is, this is incredible what's being said here. What it's pointing forward to, that a king will come and he will say over rebels like every one of us in the room, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Why would you be the last Oh, well, because my sin didn't attempt to kill you. My sin put you there. And Jesus says over me, Tim, you're mine. Verse 13. And say to Amasa, you are, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not the commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man. So they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah and came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Okay, so first of all, a few things happening here. First of all, Amasa, you're now going to be the commander of my army instead of Joab. And you need to just go, wait, seriously now. Amasa who was once a part of David's people, joined the coup, was now a part of the army to dethrone and kill him. Um, Amasa, here's your sword and your shield back, and you're going to command my army. Who does that sort of thing? Who positions their enemy to then lead their army. You don't give him his weapon back. You don't give him proximity to yourself, king. You don't draw him near. He's your enemy. Who does this kind of thing? What kind of mercy are we seeing here? 
and you and I rejected God. We broke his, his laws. We rebelled against him. My sin absolutely deserves punishment. Punishment unto death. I didn't have just a heart to kill the king. My sins put him on the cross and crucified him. It was not ultimately the Roman soldiers. It was not ultimately the Jews who turned him over. It was your sin. It was my sin. That is the reason why he's hanging there. We are his enemy in our sinfulness. What does the king do? He says, I want to draw you near to me. I want to bring you close. Enemies, I want to bring forgiveness to you. I want to bring mercy to you. And I want to say over all of us amasses, draw near. You have close proximity to the king. What a savior. Amasa and you and I, we have no means to restore ourselves into kingly nearness and favor. And so these two guys, Zadok and Abiathar, they get to be the, the messengers of this good news of the king. And God has called you and I to be messengers of God, of God's good news to the world today, to all the rebels in the world today. And the New Testament uh, puts it like this, 2 Corinthians. In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are that role of, of, of the, these two individuals, Zadok and Abiathar. And in verse 14, it tells us that he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, and their hearts were swayed because the king is, is showing this loving, undeserving mercy from his throne. And Romans 2 tells us that God, our king's kindness, is that is what leads you and I to repentance. So in verse 15, the king returns, says to the Jordan and the Judaites, they came to Gilgal to meet him. Gilgal, well, that's a place in the Old Testament, isn't it? Have you heard of the place before? It's the place where Joshua came and he renewed Israel's covenant with God after crossing over the, through the, the, the Jordan, Joshua 5. And that's what's happening here. Come on back, brothers, you who are hating me, you who are rebelling against me, you who are wanting me dead. Come on back. You're my brothers. You're mine. You belong to me. Why would you be last to come? It's an amazing gospel message. Have you thought, I'm not so sure about this King Jesus. Let me run over here to the other guy. He looks like a better king. And then that king fails you. Have you come to that place yet where you're running to another king and that king fails you? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the kings of this world. I'm talking about the king of relationship. I'm going to, this is my new king. I'm going to attach myself to this relationship. And then that relationship fails you. I'm going to run to the king of sex, of money, of job, of promotion, of comfort. Has your king, have you found the kings of this world to fail you yet? They will fail you. And like Absalom was left hanging from a tree, your king will leave you hanging. If that's you this morning, God is not here saying, I'm done with you, rebel. I'm finished. It would be right for him to say that over every single 
one of us. But he's here this morning, the King of Kings, and he's offering forgiveness and reconciliation. He offers you, you can draw near me. Don't, don't be the last. Why would you be the last, Judah? Number three, the king graciously pardons his enemies. It just continues to get better. In this, we have three episodes where we see representatives um, that will come to the king. And it's pictures of mercy, loyalty, and mortality. You see, the word's getting out around the people. Imagine, this is good news. Wait, we, we get to come? We, yeah. Did you hear? Did you hear the king is back? He's at the gate. And he's showing mercy to Judah. What? Judah? Ju- Judah was with Absalom. Yeah, that's right. He showed mercy to, 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 to Judah. That's crazy. Yeah, he, they're reconciled. What? Yeah, he made a massive commander. Come on. No way. Yeah. And that's the message we share. Christ isn't giving us what our sins deserve. You can repent and you can return to the king and he will restore you. And then we have these three episodes. Number one, mercy. It's verses 16 through 20. The first episode is about mercy. It's this guy named Shammai. Now you might remember Shammai. We talked about him back in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. Shammai is the guy who when, when David and his men are fleeing, Shammai is that guy who the whole way as they're fleeing is throwing stones at them. And he's cursing them. Cursing the king. Throwing stones. Do you remember? It's, it's a little while back, but yeah, you got this whole episode. And you remember... Remember Abishai? Abishai wants to take care of this little problem. He says to David, quote, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. That's Abishai's response. He could have done it too. But David says, No, leave him be. And eventually they get to where they're going, and Shammai just continues throwing stones and cursing them the whole journey. And they arrive, says something to the effect of, they're tired, they're weary from this journey. Well, that's the guy who's going to come to the king. And Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet the king David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king, and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shammai, the son of Gere, he falls down before the king. As he was about to cross the Jordan, and he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty, or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Don't remember my sins. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord, the King. Shammai, he's having come to Jesus moment. The King is seated 
at the gate. And I deserve justice. I know exactly what I did against the king. I'm in serious trouble. And the king has every right to kill me. So he comes pleading for mercy. And Abishai is there. Verse 21. Abishai, son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shammai be put to death? He still wants to lop off his head. Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Hear me. Some of you have cursed Jesus Christ the King. And you have rejected him. You have thrown stones in your heart at the King of Kings. And you've done so all your life. Come to Jesus the King. David's response. Verse 23. The King said to Shammai, You shall not die. Awesome words for Shemai. Awesome words for every sinner in the room. You know, David, David had wished in chapter 18, if I could have just died in Absalom's place, and Christian made this point last week, and King Jesus did die in our You shall not die, says King David. And the king of our souls, when we come to him and we ask for forgiveness due to our rebellion, our our life of cursing against him, forgive us of our sins. And Christ says, you shall not die, but you shall have everlasting life. Second episode is loyalty. Verse 24, Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth? That's the grandson of Saul. It's Jonathan's son. It's the guy that um, when, when Saul died, David is saying, hey, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? And someone says, well, Mephibosheth, and he's crippled. And he said, well, bring him here. And what does David do? He says, he, again, Mephibosheth is assuming, well, I'm going to die. I was with the house of Saul. I'm family. I represent a threat to the throne. David says, no, you have a seat at my table. And he gives them Saul's inheritance. Okay, it's that guy. What's going to happen here? And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. So you've got that, you've got that, and then you've got that first episode that just told you about, but then you've got this episode right in between, and again, it's in chapter 16. And we had talked about this. This is the, this is the last time David had heard of Mephibosheth. David, again, he was on the run. When Ziba came to David, and he said, you know, Mephibosheth, uh, well, he's joined up with Absalom. And he was, he was lying about Mephibosheth. Let's continue to read verse 25. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why didn't you go with me? See, David is, is under the impression of the last time we talked about you was with this guy Ziba. And he said you linked up with Absalom. So he's asking, what'd you do that for? 
Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And his reply is, my Lord, O king, my servant, deceive me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on, that's speaking of Ziba, and go with the king. For your servant is lame and he has slandered your servant himself to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord, the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. That's the first time we see Mephibosheth. What further right have I then to cry to the king? You know what? If you've done marriage counseling more than 35 seconds, you know there's two sides to every single story. And that's what's going on here. It looks like Ziba had slandered Mephibosheth. But if you're David, you're just kind of going, I don't know. He's trying to figure out what's going on here. It looks like Ziba has slandered Mephibosheth, but David's not so sure what's, who's, who's, somebody's lying, right? Somebody's lying. It seems almost as if David throws his hands up in the air, says, I don't know who's telling me the truth, so let's just split it. Let's read verse 29. And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. I don't know. Just split it up. Because what happened, right? He gave the inheritance to Mephibosheth. That's the first time. And the second time when Ziba comes and slanders him, he takes that inheritance and he gives it to Ziba. So right now it belongs to Ziba. Now, third time, he's gone, I don't know. You guys are going to split it up. Mephibosheth came to the king. Did you notice just some of those descriptions? Comes all tattered. To the king. And I just want to again encourage us. You and I are a mess. Just come to him. Come to the king. You don't need to clean yourself up to come to King Jesus. It's foolish and silly to try to do so. You come to King Jesus just as you are. He's the one that does the cleaning up. You and I are a ragged mess. Confess your sins to the king and trust him. Well, it's pretty amazing. Mephibosheth really shows his genuine heart. Verse 29, did we read? And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba divided up. And Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all. Since my Lord, the king, has come home safely. He's like, I'm good. I just want to be in the presence of the king. That's my reward. Well, the third episode is mortality. This guy named Barzillai. Mephibosheth comes to the king, poor and crippled by all appearances. But the next guy, interestingly, interestingly enough, comes to him in his wealth. Verse 31, now Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogelim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanim. 
for he was very, a very wealthy man. So we've given a couple details about Mephibosheth, and now a couple details about Barzillai. This guy is elderly and wealthy, and the king is going to care for him. Verse 33, And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But not only is Barzillai aged and wealthy, he's also wise. And he's wise to his mortality. Read on. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such reward? Please, let your servant return, that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chinnam. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chinnam shall go over with me, and I will do for, you, for him whatever seems good to you, and all that you desire of me, I will do for you. Mm. Chinnam didn't know this in casual reading, but seems by the Old Testament scholars I was reading is likely Barzillai's son. And in this episode of mortality, it's really quite beautiful. Barzillai will not go on with the king, but he wants the king's blessing to live on beyond his years. We'll get to that more in a minute on that, but First of all, did you catch the gospel language of verse 36? It's worth underlining in your Bibles. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? If the worship team would join me. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's kind. It's mercy. It's the loving steadfast faithfulness of God on display here. It's the sovereign grace of God to sinners, to rebel, uh, rebels, to, to those of us who didn't just have a heart to kill the king, but in their sin have done so. And isn't that the question for every person who calls themselves a follower of Christ? Why should the king repay me with such reward? What reward are we speaking of? Sin paid for. It is finished. Sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. And the psalmist sings out, how majestic is your name, O Lord. He goes on, it's a short psalm, but middle of the psalm. Who is man that you would be mindful of him? And it ends, O Lord, how Lord, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who am I? Why should the king repay me with such reward? And Barzillai went home, and Shinnam, he went on to be with the king. Are you absolutely kidding me? 
every, every parent who is a follower of Christ's cry is right here. Absolute, the cry of all of our hearts. Oh Lord, when it's time for me to go, time for me to go home, allow my children to go on and walk with the king. Receive the blessing of the king. I'm good, king. I'm good. I've got all that I've desired from you.